Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Rise and shine, sports investors. It is another beautiful day in the neighborhood. It is Wednesday, June 3rd. Let's cock-a-doodle-do it. This is the early line right here on SportsGrid. Dane Martinez and Kevin Walsh putting the fun in functional sports content as we try to help you get paid uh, as we move on into what looks like team American sports, Kevin. It looks like we're going to get it. We're just in the beginning of June. And, you know, Kev, we've been talking for a while about how when all these sports come together, we're going to be double booked. You know, can you imagine, Kev, like, I, I, I don't know if we've ever done the show together, but I know we've both done in-game live a bunch. Can you imagine what in-game live is going to be like in a couple of months when all these <laughs> sports come on back together? No, it's going to be it's going to be awesome. Um, you know, I've started to, you know, in my mind, even think about kind of like, are they going to have people just assigned a certain, because I mean, it is right. going to be so much, right. And it's all going to be important. Like that's the biggest thing it's, there's always, you know, certain times it's like the playoffs, oh, so the majors, it's the triple crown, right. right. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And while the, there's an NBA playoff game right. going on and then an NHL playoff, it's going to be, it's going to be amazing. Um, I'm excited for when, that, whenever that is, I'm hopeful, yeah. um, that that is, you know, Sooner than further away. Yeah, absolutely. I continue to wonder what people's loyalties are going to be, you know, on a random weekend in October when all these things are going down. I, You know, for context, everybody out there, you know, I've been thinking about this ever since they decided to postpone and move the Masters, which was supposed to be in early April, is now going to be in like early November. And here's the thing, Kevin, you know, when th- those kinds of events, like mm-hmm. the Masters, let's say, right? People are getting their hotel rooms a year in advance. It's like a college graduation, you know, and the hotels for an hour, you know, in every direction are going to be booked. But that same weekend, the Georgia Bulldogs, who I know and you know will be contenders, have a big time game between the hedges against like Tennessee. That's <laughs> weekend, you know. So I mean, I truly wonder what the tailgating, what the what the um, sports boys weekend trips are going yeah. to look like in the fall. And here's the thing, Kev, we got to, you know, first dot all the I's and cross all the T's to hope that we have a couple of those major sports. We've been updating progress kind of on the negotiations over the course of the last week or two. And the plot thickens, Kevin. The plot thickens, especially in Major League Baseball. I remember you saying like, hey, if they, they're so far, I don't think they're going to come to an agreement. You know, we've talked about plant a flag here, plant a flag there, find the landing place in the middle. And... You know, there were people that were starting to get pessimistic. I think you included Jared Smith, our guy, was like, I don't think they're going to have a season. I found something I saw yesterday very interesting, Mm. okay? And it says that in the kind of agreement they made in March with the prorated salaries and all that, right, it also apparently said, and, you know, devil in the details, it also apparently says that the office of the commissioner – can just decide what to do if there has not been or after a quote-unquote good faith negotiation, right? And that's happening now, right? 
proposal on one side, proposal on the other. And if that doesn't work, if these guys are just stubborn to where you think they might be, right, and not make progress, it sounds like Manfred has the right, has the power, has the ability, has the technical trust to go ahead and put out a schedule and deliver a schedule and a postseason schedule for the 2020 season that in his view as the commissioner from the commissioner's office kind of is economically feasible for the owners would maintain the prorated salary quote unquote agreement. And it, what we're starting to hear is that might be around 50 games or 60 mm. games where the owners, you know, if they're losing money on every game, blah, blah, blah. It's not that bad for them. They only take some of the hit. And because the schedule would be short enough that the prorating aspect would be financially feasible for the players. Here's the what I want to ask you. Mm. We talked yesterday and the day before, and you have tremendous faith in Adam Silver on the NBA side. Yeah. Right? It seems like faith now is not really required, though, because, right, it may be great to have faith in Rob Manfred, yeah. but even if we don't, it seems like he has the legal authority mm -hmm. to just end this one way or another. Does this give you more confidence that regardless of a tone, ultimately, there'll be a season? Not really. Um, Rob Manfred isn't necessarily in a position. I mean, he is in a position, but when you think about it in good standing, right. like the perception, people aren't going to be like, Rob, step in here, man, and try and figure this out. I mean, I feel like no, but Rob I think Manfred, that that's what the March deal says. No, it does. It 100% okay. does. Okay. There's also a key key phrase that you uh, mentioned in that, is that after good faith negotiations. Yes. Do we feel yes. like we've had good faith negotiations? Well, because... good faith is just like a, you know, an industry term. I think, yes, that's what this is. There's a proposal and a proposal. Yes, sure. we are in good faith negotiations right now. Uh, okay. If the I, I Players mean... Association was like, no. We're yeah. not even going to have the proposal like we alluded to previously. Like, I don't even think that would be an example of not good faith negotiations. But the fact that the proposal did come from the other side, um, by the letter of the law, at least, Kev, like that's what that, right. uh, you know, good there's, faith. Yeah. There's been, in essence, even though this most recent 50 game thing, I don't know what, I don't think it was a formal counter, right? But we'll say there's been three suggestions, right? Mm -hmm. One, and there's a, there's a lot of details within all of the suggestions. But one has 82 games, one has 114 games, and one has 50 games. And it's almost like the 50-game one, though, Kevin, is like the parents being like, well, if you kids can't figure it out, you know, the brother and the sister want pizza for dinner or Chinese for takeout. And the, and the parents are like, well, if you guys can't agree, then we're going to just decide. I think that's kind of what it is. I don't know that the 50 is like a proposal, per se. Well, I know. I believe that's from, from, from what I understood. Okay. The owners are... Basically willing, if it, it, it was phrased as like a last-ditch effort. Right. We'll say, you'll play kind of 50, but those 50 games, you will get pro-rated salary. So you right. would be paid a full game check mm -hmm. for those 50 games. Now, that apparently was also met on the other side as a seat felt infuriated. Uh, almost a slap in the face. Because yeah. they are proposing 64 less games than the players just proposed. Mm -hmm. The question is, right, The is Rob Manfred able to take what's been put out thus far? Is his job to find a middle ground? Just schedule games on a 50-game schedule and say, here you go? Because if he does, Dane, 
Yeah. I'm not sure they're showing up. I mean, that's really the thing I think that we need to see here. But that's I don't the thing think they already agreed to that in March. The players have already agreed to that. I, I get all that, right? Yeah. But that doesn't does that mean that they're gonna show up if Rob Manfred says here's a 50 game schedule? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, I don't I don't see they're they're all the thing is, right? There's benefits to staying home. There are health benefits to not showing up. I understand that the financial aspect of this makes, you know, people want to show up and all of these different things, right? But at the end of the day, if Rob Manfred goes out there and says, here's the 50-game schedule, we start July 1st, right? Yep. And no major leaguers show up, right? Right. One, the game with minor leaguers, is it's just a waste of our time. Secondly, there's also going to be a lot of minor leaguers not willing to come, I think, could be wrong on that, because right now the major leaguers are paying their salaries that right. the owners aren't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, the way I read it, remember, they had some agreement in March, right? And it was that agreement that gave Rob Manfred, in essence, the quote-unquote, the power to do this, right, if they couldn't kind of play nice in the sandbox, okay? Um, and so well, the way I read it, Major League Baseball sees that, like, this is what Manfred would do to kind of save the season if the two sides can't agree. Me, and that's really... Yeah. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Uh, is in that same agreement, though, is that yep. not where they came to terms with the prorated side? Correct, right, Because Correct. that is... If Manfred said, yes. we're playing X number of games, yep. then is everything a prorated salary? yes. Yes, that's what it is. And the 50 games season, this would be like the last resort plan, right? This is Manford coming in and saying, you know, uh, it sucks that you guys couldn't figure it out. Here's what we default back to. And what we default back to is the agreement in March that does account for the prorated salaries and what Manfred would do in this scenario, at least that's what Passon and others are reporting, is that he would then, as his last resort, do the 50-game or 60-game schedule, and yes, it would include pro-rating. On some level, you know how in the NBA, Kev, everyone, you know, and we were talking about, like, we have trust in Adam Silver, right? He's taken everything the owners may be saying, what he's hearing from the players, all this stuff, and in your opinion, what you're seeing, there's a lot of trust for him to go out and then just find the best thing for everybody, okay? In Major League Baseball, the way I read it, the trust is not there, as you've been discussing, right? But while Manfred may not have the trust of Adam Silver, the agreement that apparently happened in March gives Manfred the power, not the trust, but the power to make the same kind of decision that people are trusting Adam Silver to do just with all the inputs and the conversation. The March agreement gives Manfred the power to mm -hmm. do the same thing, and he will default back to the prorated March agreement and the number to split the difference would be 50 because they would decide that that would not hurt the owners as much as doing 80 or 100 or 114. Manfred would have the power to do that and it sounds like this is where they've identified as kind of like splitting the difference for the financial pain and hardship. Mm -hmm. Whereas it seems like in the NBA people have the trust in Adam Silver to just you know, do what's right. Here, Manfred, if, as the last resort, if the negotiations don't go well, he has the power 
to do this. And it looks like 50 is where he would kind of land to split all the differences and make the best decision. The question becomes, does him yielding that power mm. get the result that they want? It's he the can, result that both sides agreed to in March. Again, but does, so you believe that if he then says it's a 50-game schedule, it's a guarantee that all the players show up. I, 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 mean, think, it's a, I, don't think, I don't know if it's a guarantee or not, but the union would be default have to be behind it because they've already – Tony Clark already agreed to this. You know, so it's the yeah. same thing, though, but kept, you know, like in the NBA, we'll, and we'll talk about some updates to the NBA plan, you know, coming up in our next segment. But it's the same thing in the NBA, right? The, the, the NBA can have an agreement, and yet individual players can still decide, to your point, the I'm, risk is too much. The, the reason I'm giving yeah, pause here is just a part of the reporting that was done acknowledged that the idea of a 50-game season to the players was infuriating and not something sure. that they were excited to see. I will, because I know we're coming up close here to a break, so we can yeah. you know touch on the other side. I do find the conversation around a 50-game season, if it mm. is interesting, and whether that, like, to you even sounds worth it, whether that's, yeah. like, something you're for. I think right, for things like competitive balance and the record books, and is it even worth it? I think that's a good question. We discussed that and kind of the changing landscape in the NBA dailyrodo.com learn from the game's best dfs players we don't just give you premier advice we play every day all major sports all year round we never stop industry-leading dfs tools and custom projections and now the dailyrodo.com optimizer in minutes build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys learn from the game's best dfs players join dailyrodo.com All right, everybody, welcome back into the early line, giving you the edge on SportsGrid. Kevin and I continuing to update you on the progress because I know, just like everybody else, you want sports back as soon as possible. Not only UFC, which we'll talk about later on in the week, not only the ponies, which we'll talk about continuing this month with the Belmont, but you want American team sports back, the national pastime as it were. And we've been talking about how to get baseball back. And we now see that as this kind of last resort idea, Kevin, that the commissioner apparently has the power within his office, right? After these negotiations kind of happening, which we are seeing play out, right? Live in the media with players authentically reacting, using social media. We're seeing how the sausage is made. Mm. Uh, but what we now have learned that if the sausage can't be made like nicely by the two sides playing together and agreeing that the commissioner's office has the power to be like, all right, this is what it's going to be. And it sounds like what we're hearing from Jeff Passan and others is that um, as a last resort, okay, after if, and you also have to think about it, Kevin, if these negotiations go back and forth for a days, weeks, right, the sands of time continue to fall. And so we're not going to get 114, 80, you know? Mm -hmm. So it sounds like what we've learned is that the commissioner's office would be prepared to deliver like a 50 or 60 game schedule and just be like, all right, all of you shut up. This is what it's going to be. You guys couldn't figure it out yourselves. Here's yeah. what it is. You know, like imagine a parent yelling at their kids in the backseat of a long road trip. You can't figure it out. Fine. This mm -hmm. is the movie we're watching. <laughs> um, so the question is, 
Is a 50-game season worth it? I mean, obviously, there's still all the, Kevin, normalcy. We want to see this. We want to, you know, there's there's action out there in the sports investment world. There's handle to be made, right? There is still some prorated. There's some then salary for players. You know, these, these um, employees get something. But I don't know. What do you think, Kev? Is it worth it? I think it's really interesting. Um, I have this like long drawn out take about the fact that if Major League Baseball as a concept was presented in 2020, it would be laughed out of the building. The idea that you would play a 162 game season, that it is almost a guarantee that a portion of the game would lead to arm surgery consistently and that you have to play the same team, you know, three to four days in a row. It's a very unnatural position for the human body. Yeah, I, I mean, there's just so many pieces of baseball that just don't apply to 2020, right? Like, where you're, you know, you're trying to keep people's attention, keep things fresh, different things. Um, with that being said, we have a situation now where we are talking about 112 less games than their current regular season yeah. format. It's like a third of the season, right? Right. Like, there's a lot of conversations in the sports world about uh, asterisks, right? And to me, I think all, you know, if everybody's going through the same thing, there's not really much of an asterisk. Now, if you start to change things wildly, then okay, maybe. And again, 50 games, I mean, that that is so, so small compared to what they usually do. However... Just for clarification, real quick, I know you're an NBA guy. Remember 1999, the Knicks-Spurs season, Mm -hmm. when they had the lockout? They played, what, I think it was 50 out of the 80, right? It was just just over half, right? Yeah. Where, by contrast, this would be about a third, um, just to kind of set the stage. The last lockout, I remember in basketball at least, they still ultimately got over half the season. I know there's been some lockouts in the NHL under Bettman, but this, you're right, this would be less than half even. Go ahead. Yeah, so what I do think is interesting, though, is a 50-game baseball season actually then is able to drum up the drama that a 162-game baseball season is not. Because Mm -hmm. now... A three-game losing streak will feel catastrophic. And also, it probably can keep them on pace for next season, even with an extended playoffs. Back into December. Also, there's been this, the one thing that there is a consensus on in baseball, if there was anything that there was going to be a consensus on, is the fear of a second wave of COVID wiping out the incredibly profitable uh, or financially important MLB postseason. Yeah. I don't know if we, um, you could probably look it up through math. I don't know if there's a simple way to figure out basically how many games would be left in the schedule on July 31st. But I mean, I think to say maybe that there would be more than 50 is not, or or, I'm sorry, on uh, July 1st, not July 31st, on July. In a normal season? Yeah. I, I don't, I think that there, I don't know if we Well, will, the way I would tell you, just my knee-jerk reaction, here's what I'll tell you is my knee-jerk reaction to it. By July 1st, you're right around halfway, maybe yeah. just a little past it, because the first week of July is always when the All-Star game is, Kev, yep. right? That's when the All-Star break is, and then you also got to remember, we always have that joke, like the All-Star game, it's not actually the halfway point of the season, it's a little beyond the halfway point of the season. So I put those data points together and say that in July 1st, teams will have played 85 to 90 games, just over half. 
Right, which then means, right, there'd be like, let's just call it 70 games left. Sure. Right? In a normal season, yes. From that starting point. So you're not dealing with 50 games here. So you actually now have the ability, if you want it, to not to to not only finish on time, but expand the playoffs and finish on time. So I think that's it was it was it was I saw this proposal being and I said, okay, so the owners are willing to pay, it's prorated salaries. It adds drama. You can put them on schedule. Yeah. And the only reason that I'm not kind of sitting here saying this is the plan, make this happen, is just reading that it almost sounded like this was a bit of an fu back towards the players. Like, right. oh, you want prorated? Here's 50 games, and that's what you get. Because there still is this overhanging question of the players association saying, give us the financial proof. That right, you let's can't do prorated salaries right. over 80 or whatever the that's amount the of games is. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, Tony Clark has said um, as much. And the idea that Manfred would just be like, all right, they told me 50. Here's 50. <laughs> is, you know, why I still think this would be met with frustration. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, I think you make a good point in terms of how if you do condense the season, and and I think you would get some of this in 80 anyway, right, Kev? Uh, Less than 162. Um, It it creates more urgency, right? In essence, Kev, it's the difference between the college basketball season and the college football season, right? Where in the college basketball season, we talk about, oh, you do all this to be one of the top 64. You could lose a game or two, right? In college football, Every single Saturday is so much more high stakes because one loss and you're pretty much done. And so on some level, that's what it would be like in a dramatically condensed Major League Baseball season. The only thing for me, though, Kev, is and I respect that you say baseball has this like issue, right? Attention span, length of the season. The millennials don't like it. But on some level, baseball is supposed to be played as like a leisurely game you know like that's the way it's supposed to be the boys of summer you know people have it on in the background a lot of times so yes i do think you're right the crave for the intensity and urgency of the season would be there by definition as you condense it i just don't know if that's what baseball wants you know on some level they want to get that fan on some level they want to change pace of play but they still do get very nostalgic about some of the elements of the game so we'll definitely keep our eye out on that that is a this is a huge week Mm -hmm. for the solvency of baseball at least in the short term right and we're going to keep figuring that one out i do want to turn our attention kev to basketball because we've we're also seeing you know not necessarily changes there you know the last kind of official news was that there were still kind of four proposals on how the season would start everything from going back to some of the regular season to the the world cup style draw now a lot of the kind of experts and beat reporters and names that you know on social media including Woj, are saying that it seems like energy is building Mm -hmm. for the kind of 2022 kind of format um, that'll give some guys like a little bit, whether it's that World Cup kind of thing with some playoff games to, uh, you know, have a runway for players to be in good shape and not have a groin pull, right? But 
I always, you know, I'm being cynical here, Kev. I believe it all comes down to money, right? And you have said mm -hmm. one of the biggest things on the NBA negotiating table is yep. this idea of their commitment to the network and their contracts for television. And they need to get a certain threshold to satisfy those partners. Mm. And there has been a lot of talk that doing the playoffs in this way, right, having more teams involved, having something of a group play stage is not only the benefit of getting the players back into shape, but providing extra games to be televised to satisfy those partners. Yeah. So I ask you, if 20 or 22 or 24 of those teams get that opportunity and six or eight or 10 don't, I don't know how How does that still make this pass unanimously? You know, it sounds like there's a mm. lot of energy that it's just going to be a fait accompli, like, yep, we're good to go. Let's progress to the next stage of our negotiations. But yeah. there's going to be some teams left out in the cold, and what are they going to do for their television partners? So I want to read just quickly a quote from the latest uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, and I believe sure. Zach Lowe contributed as well, just to kind of give people an idea of, I think, why my um, confidence meter sits where there it does. Um, uh, Woj writes, a three-fourths majority of the 30 teams is required for a plan's passage, but owners expect unanimous support for whatever form the NBA's final proposal takes, sources said. Now, to me, why that stands out is the idea of him being able to report that there is an expected unanimous support for whatever the proposal is, right? right. It, it, it shows kind of what we were just talking about, but the other side of Rob Manfred. It's just this overwhelming trust in Adam Silver, right? And, I, and I've continued to read up that, you know, how Adam Silver... Uh, essentially has given Michelle Roberts and Chris Paul a seat at the table. And they've been part of these negotiations throughout. That they are everybody. <laughs> right. Like they're not left out in the cold and it gives them this leg up. But one of the things that you just mentioned was discussed as well in this piece. And it has to do with the teams that are going to be missing out. And yeah. specifically these teams that are missing out in these smaller markets. Right. Um, there was somewhat this plea made to understand their position saying that, you know, for us, this layoff, it's not that easy. It's harder think, for us in a smaller market yeah. to not to keep the we interest. talk about franchises, big businesses, companies right. that are going under, you know? They're, they're, they're saying it's, it's harder for us to keep that same level of fan interest. It's hard for us to keep that same level of sponsorship if Which we valid. are absent from March to December. And what I, and the reason why I remain confident is then within this piece, it not only it says – Everybody's acknowledging it. This is support. These are ideas that are being pointed out by playoff teams in smaller markets. Everybody's kind of understanding why. And then they're bringing up ideas such as, you know, kind of um, preseason tournaments between these teams to help drum up excitement and create more revenue for them. So you're seeing issues being brought up, right? Because, of yeah. course, there's going to be issues. Yeah. But you're... Just continuing to, it is almost like when a bench mob, everybody has their arms locked in, and that's <laughs> just what the NBA looks like. Yeah, you know, there does seem to be more faith, right? But we still have to see how it ultimately plays out, and we're going to be following that over the course of the next days and weeks. We turn our attention to the NFL. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day.
all major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Welcome back into the early line here on SportsGrid. I'm Dane. He's Kevin. And we're trying to update you on if, when, and how we will see American team sports coming on back. I mean, Kev, we are technically in the month of June. Do you think in the month of June you will see an American team sport game get played on TV? Oh, wow. No. 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 Oh. No, I can't. I, I think that would be season game. Well, the thing is, I don't think do – do we think that the NBA or the NHL's preseason would take place in June? Maybe. I don't – I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Because I just feel like you're basically – it's basically – oh, I, I, I just feel like the only option is baseball. Although, like, dude, does lower level count, right? Because Jared keeps talking about how, like, this lower level yeah, women's soccer – Well, and stuff. But what I'm talking about also is that all these proposals, they talk about a spring training or a preseason, right? So maybe those kinds of games do start. You know, if, 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 if baseball starts on July 4th, then the preseason schedule will start a week before that or something like that, I right? I don't know. Baseball <laughs> keeps doing this weird thing where they're like, listen, we only need, like, 24 hours notice and the right. season starts. So we shall see. But you're right, Kev. I mean, trust is definitely the baseline of any relationship. You know, you and I have trust. That's why we're able to put the fun and functional sports content on a daily basis. And you wanted to bring up a point. I think it makes sense. You know, we keep on comparing the kind of trust and tone in the NBA versus the trust and tone in Major League Baseball, although I always have the asterisk, the footnote, the caveat. Let's see when paper or pen and paper are actually together. But you you also talked about that there's a history here with Adam Silver, right? Not only with the owners that he does represent, but with some of the players, specifically the head of the players union, Chris Paul. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's somewhat significant here. Again, this doesn't mean that, you know, it's pen to paper, these things are all right. done. But these are actually guys that have been working together long before Chris Paul was president of the Players Union and long before Adam Silver was commissioner of the league. Uh, even, I think it was 06, Chris Paul was just getting into the league. The NBA was uh, introducing new basketballs, I think with the synthetic leather. And right. Chris Paul was like, these are terrible. And they got and those two worked hand in hand to you know, go back to the old basketballs, basically, or to fix kind of that process. For those, mm -hmm. you know, K-tape, right? I know it's very, very popular yeah. these days. Um, Canisio tape, I think is how you say it, um, initially was banned in the NBA. It was Chris Paul and Adam Silver who worked side by side to make that a possibility. If you remember last year's All-Star game, right, the ending, which was crazy and ended up being about as dramatic as I can remember an NBA All-Star game, um, that was Chris Paul's idea that he ah. gave to Adam Silver. And they worked together on Like that. the 24 points extra for Kobe, that yeah. thing? Yeah, and actually, and in, in, in mentioning Kobe, I think this, you know, maybe more than anything can kind of just show a relationship that goes mm -hmm. beyond figuring things out, was when Kobe Bryant did pass, um, the, the piece noted, I believe it was Brian Windhorst who wrote the piece, um, that Adam Silver called Chris Paul to ask him about how they should go about whether they're playing games on that day or not. Um, and I, I think that that kind of relationship is substantial because we're talking about, 
you know, two guys that are incredible, you know, that are at the peak of kind of the levels that they need to be at to make these things happen. And you will notice throughout this process. And again, it it is just us, you know, kind of reading what's being put out there. Right. But they keep talking about Adam Silver and the fact that he's continually reaching out to all parties involved and keeping everybody in the loop. And Chris Paul seemingly has a very similar style with what he's doing as the president of the players union, where he's, you know, forming committees that involve Dwight Powell, right. with all due respect to Dwight Powell, but that's <laughs> not a name that jumps off the page. Of like, of course he's in the committee and just kind of getting everybody's feel for what is to come. And I think one of the things that is truer in the NBA than any sport here in America is that it is player driven and the players have more power probably in the NBA than any sport here in America. And the idea, right, and it's funny, because you think that that then maybe could lead to more division, right? Because the NBA players, more than anywhere else, know their worth and yield more power. And it actually has, again, we're not done yet, but it seemingly made this process easier because of the acknowledgement of that and giving them a say in the room. And those, it's just, that all to me is a part of the reason why the NBA process in maybe not in true labor negotiations term, but in essence is much further along. Yeah, the essence is definitely there, Kevin. You know, in in any relationship, right? When you have trials and tribulations or you do stuff together and collaborate, you build up the term, you know, social capital, right? And it seems like for years, Adam Silver on both sides has been building up the social capital, right? And now he has it. Right. So he can draw off that and it's going to be something that not everyone's going to like, but they're going to still trust and walk with Adam Silver because he has that social capital kind of built up already. Absolutely. I do want to turn our attention because, you know, we can't bet on what day the players are going to come back. But we can nobody's bet. Giving odds on I know there should be an over under on that one. But then, like, you know. Could Tony Clark just manipulate it, you know? Um, But in any event, but what we can place a bet on right now is, you know, coming off what we've been talking about in the NFL, the wide receivers, we looked at kind of like the targets and the passing production that is up for grabs in yesterday's show. So it stands to reason that now that we thought about who might be primed to absorb some of that pizza pie, take advantage, right, have a higher level of production potentially than last year, we look at, you know, who's going to lead the league? In receiving, we've done this already with rushing. Remember, I believe you were kind of on that Derrick Henry side. I was on the Nick Chubb side a little bit based on value. We talked about this with the passing props already with people like Dak Prescott and potentially value. You know, you know Kevin thinks Terod Taylor could be a value for per- no, 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 no. <laughs> no? Oh, not on a season prop because he may not play all 16. Oh, I, just, I just think Terod Taylor is better than the 31st quarterback in fantasy. Fair. DFS value for a week one, right? But I think what we did yesterday as an intriguing data point to try to figure out the league leaders, Kevin, right? Um, because, you know, I'll give you one case study. At the very top of that list yesterday were the Atlanta Falcons. And we figured out Devontae Freeman. We figured out um, Austin Hooper being gone. You know, but one of the favorites this year and every year to lead the league in receiving is Julio Jones. Right. And when I know that Julio Jones is something like the third choice here to lead the NFL in receiving yards, I believe he's at plus like seven to one or that level. Right. Um, Behind only Michael Thomas. And I think Tariq Hill is in there as well. D hop. He's the one where there's more room in the tank, in my opinion, you know, and that's a good example. I see. 
excuse me, I see Arizona high on this list as well as losing targets. DeAndre Hopkins is mm. in position to potentially absorb some of these, right? So when you look at some of the odds, in the context of what we talked yesterday, mm. do uh, can you connect any dots and see a good play? Yeah, so it's actually, uh, it's incredible how this has worked out. So to me, when you're looking at these kind of, of bets, right, because you always want to find value, but everybody's plus money. Everybody's plus money. So you want to get the guy that you think is actually going to win, right? But you can get a couple of bets, right? Like that's where, you know, when we talked with the rushing leaders, right? Derrick Henry's a favorite, but I think he's the best bet on the board. But we mentioned, you know, maybe a guy like James Conner if you wanted to go way down the board. So as I initially scanned through this, it was before you had passed along um, the piece talking about targets vacated. And to me, Julio Jones was the guy who I wanted to bet on this board. (laughs) Anyway, before that, Every year since 2015, he's been top two in receiving yards. In 2014, he was third. In Mm -hmm. that span, he's led the league twice. He does this. This is what he does. I mean, Julio Jones, year in and year out, is one of the two best receivers in football, right? And when you do the all-decade team, it was him and Antonio Brown. But the thing is, Julio's still here, and he's still doing it. So I I, I, I like that bet, Dane. Then you pass along the idea that all of these targets have been vacated, and simply put, Hayden Hurst and Todd Gurley, they're not going to be able to chew up everything that's there. Now Julio Jones, to me, is a sneaky leader you know, or, or a sneaky guy for maybe a targets leader in the NFL. And if Julio leads the league in targets, he's leading the league in receiving. So yeah. that, to me, is the bet that I want to make the most because I think that's the bet that's going to win. All right. Fair enough. And just for context, last year's receiving leaders, right? Michael Thomas had an amazing season, 149 catches or whatever it was, 1,725 yards receiving. Mm -hmm. That led the league by a wide margin. Your boy Julio was second, but just below 1,400. Michael Thomas was over 325, clear of everyone, Kev, but that's where I think this available targets thing and the kind of composition year over year comes to pass, right? Because the Saints, for example, is there more room to grow? And I don't think there's much, right? When you look at the Saints on this graphic, I'm trying to find them. They're kind of just right in the middle, Mm. all right? They're right in the middle. They only lost like 13% of their targets. I don't really even know who that necessarily is. It wasn't anybody big, if it comes to mind. But what did happen is Manny Sanders came on in, right? And I think that is a legitimate threat to the pie, okay? So when I look at the top guys on this list, Michael Thomas, sure, but I think it's more likely for him to go down because of Manny Sanders and others. You make a good point. Julio could bump up. As I look at last year's receiving leaders, a lot of them, You know, Chris Godwin was third, Mm -hmm. 1,333 yards. But I think quarterback change, I think Gronk now coming into the mix, right? So I don't know if he's where I want to go. Do you believe, do you know that Travis Kelsey was fourth in the NFL in receiving yards last year? But that's a little fluky. That's a fantasy herd to me, okay? Um, The guy who's fifth is interesting to me. Um, Devontae Parker was fifth in the league. At 1,200 yards, okay, and I could see there being reasons for you to think, like, maybe he gets even better. Maybe better uh, or developing quarterback play could be there for him. What do you think about a guy like Devontae Parker? He's going at 30-1, to 1, Kevin. 
I think that's a great guy to bring up because you look at it and I wouldn't say that the wide receiver core around him is necessarily improved to where he should be getting any less targets. And the Preston thing Williams for Devontae coming back from injury, but you know, not right. Huge. With all due respect to Preston Williams, no, it's not like we, we've seen him do, you sure. know, right. Um, the interesting thing with Devontae Parker is it reminds me a bit of, you know, me liking Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry in those last nine games with Tannehill, you know, almost 125 yards a game rushing mm-hmm. Devontae Parker really towards the back end of the season to me at least right maybe this is only in perception but i believe was where he really kind of exploded and established himself as this just week in and week out dominant force at the wide receiver position to where if that carries over and it also is met with more consistent quarterback play whether that be ryan fitzpatrick um because obviously they were rotating a bit in the beginning between fitz between rosen um or just to a tongue of iloa I think there's something to be said, certainly, about Devontae Parker, who finished fifth, being a good value. Um, another guy I'll just quickly mention, because you just mentioned Travis Kelsey. Right. Here's what we're- I want you to do. Let's hold on for now, because we're going to up against the break. But we're going to keep on looking at this. I've got a couple of off-the-board plays as well, one at 14-1, to one, one at 30-1, to one, that I legitimately like. And I want to get you know some of your diamonds in there that could be value as well. We'll do that when we come back right here on the early line. We're trying to make you some futures money. I got a 30-1 to one shot that I truly believe can come in. You want to know who it is? Keep it locked here on The Grid. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Welcome back, everybody, in on the grid. It is the early line, giving you the edge. Dane and Kevin going around the wide receiver position. We've been shining a spotlight on the wide receivers. Yesterday, we talked about, you know, targets up for grabs. Today, we're seeing who can take advantage of it. Tomorrow, also, or later on this week, Kev, we'll talk about the rookies in this equation, right? If there's any diamonds in the rough out there. And also what your approach is. Like, do you generally go? for the rookie wide receiver, because I personally usually do not, but we'll see if anybody, you know, fits the bill there. We were talking about Devontae Parker as a kind of intriguing case, another ascending young wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Here's what I want to ask you about Parker. Um, you know, Kev, one of the things we're looking at is like the available pieces of the pie to be sure. had, right? But another thing I think about year to year in the passing game, if we believe Miami is going to be better this year, right? Does that then mean less garbage time and ultimately less easy receiving yards for guys like Parker? This is a team that was tanking for Tua, right? And now we think if they take a step forward, does that just mean game flow wise, they'll have less opportunity? Yes. I mean, yes. Okay. If they're going to be better, there's less. Does that enter into this for you at all? I think it can, right? Like, I, for me, like, Devontae Parker did not make, say, a, you know, a cut of my favorite, favorite bets on the okay. board. But I think, I think you can make a compelling argument for him. And there's probably something to be said then where, go, where you go from relying on garbage time to actual quality play. Which, at the end of the day, if they're going to be competitive, right? Mm-hmm. In 2020, they're going to have to be able to pass the ball. And yep. if they're going to be passing the ball, Devontae Parker is going to be the apple of the quarterback's eye. 
I buy that. Um, you know, you met. We started off talking about Julio Jones, and Julio Jones at the top of the board, or one of the tops, at seven to one. But you know, when we talk about top three receivers for fantasy, one of the names we mentioned has dramatically longer odds. And I'm putting all the data pieces together. Uh, Devontae Adams in this is fourteen to one. We've been talking about how the Packers didn't get another weapon, and we expect Adams to continue to be the number one guy, the target monster in Green Bay. We don't see guys like Valdez Scantling or even Funches who was brought in as a huge threat. I also look at this list and the Packers are one of the teams that have lost about a quarter of their targets. You know, Jimmy Graham gone, Geronimo Allison gone, and potentially others. When I put all those things together, I know Aaron Rodgers is going to want to sling it to, uh, you know, hold off the kid. What about Devontae Adams? You know, he has Already one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. We know he's got an offense that can throw. He did. They lost other potential. They didn't bring anyone else in like Manny Sanders, for example, in New Orleans. And yet Devontae Adams is still hovering at around 14 to 1. I kind of like that play. Yeah, I do too. Devontae Adams was my second favorite bet available okay. on the board. Again, to me, Michael Thomas, to, I mean, a plus 350. I just don't think the value is necessarily there because you've mentioned one, there should just be some level of regression from a guy who shatters, like he shattered records last yeah. year. Not from a receiving yards perspective, but with targets and everything. And he's not a depth of target guy, right? He's more of a possession receiver. Right. And it's just Manny Sanders coming in plus regression. It's got to peel back some, right? I love DeAndre Hopkins. And he's going to benefit from going to Arizona because mm -hmm. there's going to be a lot more weapons. But there's a lot more weapons, right? Like you would think, at least. So I'm not positive that DeAndre Hopkins at, you know, 9-1 to one is, in, is the value play. To me, it is Devontae Adams as you look a little bit further down the board. Uh, again, 10 bucks wins you, what, $140 sure. based on his current odds? Like, that's a really, you know, that's it's not a long shot per se, but it's a pretty yeah. sizable, uh, you know, price that you would be hitting there. He has the chance to yeah. lead the league and all receiver targets because of his quarterback, because of his talent, because of his situation. He can lead the league in targets, which means you can lead the league in receptions, which means you can lead the league in receiving yards, and he has the chance to lead the league in touchdowns. All of that is true for Devontae Adams, and I think considering his situation, I might say I even feel more inclined to come and play on him than, again, on Michael Thomas or DeAndre Hopkins yeah. at a similar price. They're yeah. not even similar prices, and that's why Devontae Adams to me is a no-brainer bet. Absolutely. And remember, Devontae Adams only played in 12 games last year, okay? So he's off the board in the times of these league leaders. You have to scroll down to find him. But in 12 games, three quarters of the season, all right, 83 catches, 900, 1,000 yards in essence, 997, okay? So if you add another 25% of that onto him, he's right there in the 12, 1,300-yard range. The year before that, in 2018, he played 15 games and wound up with 1,386 yards on 111 catches. So if he can play 16 games, I believe he is a viable candidate. I saw that at the value at 14 to 1. I've got one semi-bomb to throw out there, but I know you like a long shot as well. Why don't you give out yours first? Yeah, so I just think kind of what you mentioning, Travis Kelsey, it made me mm. think a little bit about George Kittle because it kind of all applies to this conversation that we're having. I mean, Emmanuel Sanders is gone, and I know it's difficult for a tight end to lead the league, and I'm not exactly positive where George Kittle landed um, last year. Last year, but George I mean, Kittle was 23rd in the NFL. 
Um, in receiving yards, yeah. 1,053 yards. Remember, though, he played in 14 games, okay? Right. So, you know, figure him getting around 75 yards a game receiving in 14 games. If you want to be generous, you throw another 150 on that, you know, then he could have been in the top 10 if he played all 16 games. If you look at his receiving yards per game, mm -hmm. right, then he does wind up being 12th in the NFL. Which – is is not you know and that's nothing to sneeze at if they're yeah. then is gonna if they're gonna be able to maybe welcome in some more seventy five point two Devonte Parker was seventy five point one uh, right I mean geez wow that is something man um the thing is I don't know if a receiver is ever or a tight end rather has ever led the league in receiving yards mm -hmm. to where that's and that's kind of the the push and pull with, with these type of bets right Dane yeah. is again let's just say his current price puts him as like option 25 and i don't really know but let's just say it's yeah. option 25 right and he finishes 10th in receiving there you go you know i could say I oh value. he had it but he yeah. just didn't get all the way there you correct then you should have just bet the over under kevin exactly that ex no but and, <laughs> and that's kind of one of the things right yeah it's like oh awesome i knew it'd be better than 25 right. i lost i lost so that's why i think one of the as much as you know you want to try and find these dogs but mm -hmm. ask yourself like do you actually believe that that person can win? Actually, and win. I have less confidence ah. in in Kittle, I guess. But I think he's a value play, and maybe he does. And I think through these conversations, we learned a similar thing with Sean Watson. Maybe mm -hmm. he's not going to lead the league in passing yards, but I gotta like his over under prop. Right, and you know, Kittle does have an over under on receiving yards, as most of the mainstay big time tight ends do. Um, one other guy I do want to mention here, and. <laughs> You know, I want to test the am I crazy theory with you. I'm trying to put it all together here, Kev. And let's see if you know who I'm talking about. Um, this is a member of one of the teams on that list that had over 20% of their targets gone. Okay? So there is some to be uh, had for this team in the passing attack. They lost um, one of their big wide receivers in the offseason. Okay? I all This is also a team that I believe is going to be worse than last year, okay? So more passing kind of in the second half. And um, this is a guy who, when he's on the field, has put up incredible numbers and has a weird chemistry with his quarterback, and it's in the division we're covering. Do you know who I'm talking about? Mm, um... He's at 30 to 1. DK Metcalf? No, I'm Ooh, leaning at Cooper Cup is a guy that I'm okay. looking at here, okay? The Rams, as you know, have lost Brandon Cooks, right? Yeah. That is a legitimate piece. 20%, 21%, 126 targets are gone, okay? And remember what happened there? At first, when Cooks was gone, we all were like, yeah, they like Josh Reynolds. Yeah, they like Josh Reynolds. But no, they went in and drafted Van Jefferson also. To me, it's definitively Woods and Cup. They also lost Todd Gurley out of the backfield. So there is production to be had. And I think this team, listen, they're going to throw more. Without Todd Gurley as the running engine, think about these guys, right? Think about the Hendersons of the world. Think about um, the Cam Akers of the world. I think they evolved to more of a passing team. And I've seen Cooper Cup have games of like 12 for 170. You know, he does have that weird chemistry with Jared Goff at 30 to one. 
I kind of think it's value based on the way McVeigh and Goff play, based on the chemistry they have. I can see Cooper Cup having one of those like 119 catch, 1340 yard kind of seasons. He's a wild card to me, and I think a value at 30 to one. I think that's I couldn't agree more. I, cool. I, it's one of those weird things, I guess, when Brandon Cooks got traded. All I could think about was kind of the other got too. Right, but I, I just feel like when Cooks got traded, all I thought about was like, oh, my God, that's replacing DeAndre Hopkins, you right. buffoons, what a crazy move that was in Houston. And I feel like literally not up until right now, Dave, yeah. is the first time that I'm thinking about the fact that he's not a Ram and what it means for the Rams. The Rams. And I know that's right. bad, and I, I get that, <laughs> but it's just, you know, sometimes that's how it goes. No, no, no absolutely, because like, D-Hop was such the headline there, right? That was the thing. It's like, oh, we don't think about the Houston Astros anymore because there's a pandemic and violence in this country, right? Yeah. So if that was the headline, D-Hop, and how they, you know, the Bill O'Brien drama, yeah, but what's there left in the Rams? And ironically, Kev, we're going to spend hour number two going even further into the Los Angeles Rams. Diamond, so he might be a diamond for me. I mean, let's put it that way. Last year, and again, so we'll yeah. we'll get there, right, yeah. when we figure out where his ADP is, right? Sure. But he was wide receiver four last year. Cooper sure Cup. was. Like, sure was. Now, I don't know where he is. I'm yep. going to guess he's. We'll get to that when we do the Diamonds and Fugazis. And I've always said this. Remember how I've also said about the Rams and when they were the fantasy herd? I found it ridiculous that Cup was always going as the bottom of the three. Yet Cup is the one who has some kind of, you know, telekinesing spirit with Jared Goff. It's very funny. But, um, you know, when Cooper Cup was entering into the league, I was, you know, still, you know, in college doing my little draft shows. Yeah. And I remember reading someone uh, give a comp for Cooper Cup mm. of Jarvis Landry. And to me, whenever an analyst, I'm very seriously here, breaks the color barrier on a player comp, a comp? I mm. think that I take significantly more serious, right? Okay. Like, to me, if, if you can do that, right. because basically... And again, just you, like throughout Jordy Nelson has the comp. or for right. the, like or if like you tell me he's West, 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 West well, Welker or Julian yeah. Edelman, it's like, oh, right. okay, right? Mm -hmm. so I was like, oh. And then you saw that Cooper Cup just like constantly was shattering records in college. Right. And I'm like, oh, this guy's really good. I'm like, this guy's really good. Yeah. So I've been on Cooper Cup the whole time, basically. Yeah. I've always, I've always been in on Cooper Cup. Now the idea that he can genuinely establish himself as a clear cut number one. That's right, Kevin. <laughs> oh, I, I strong agree. Like yeah. this is what I'm. This is this is what I'm talking about. The difference. Yeah, you're right? processing it right now. I'm seeing you. The right. gears turning in your head. Go ahead. Yeah. No. Like the George Kittle bet is great in essence, but I don't want to play it. The right. Cooper Cup bet makes the list. I feel. Thirty to one, and the man last season in sixteen games had ninety-four catches, eleven hundred and sixty-one yards, and ten touchdowns. And there's no more Todd Gurley, and there's no more Brandon Cooks. I think that's interesting. When we come back in hour number two, what we're gonna do is we are gonna dig down deeper on the Los Angeles Rams. Is it more than just Cooper Cup, or now is everybody gonna want to draft him and he won't wind up on my teams? Let's figure it out. Hour two of the early line is coming up next. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. 
all major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com.